Girlfriends, episode number 282, My Conversation with an Exorcist. Hello and welcome to Girlfriends. I'm Danielle Bean. I'm a wife and a mom and I'm on a mission to help you know your worth as a woman so you can find peace, balance and joy in family living. This week I am sharing a special and intense conversation that I had with an author of a newly published book who also happens to be an exorcist. This is not one you're going to want to miss. Let's get started. Hey, girlfriend, how are you? Glad you're here. Thanks for joining me for the newest episode of the Girlfriends Podcast. Always happy to connect with you here. If you're a first-time listener, I want to give you a special hello and welcome. I'm glad you're considering becoming a part of our Girlfriends community. And bonus for you, every week I pray for the listeners of the Girlfriends Podcast. So the fact that you're listening right now means you have been prayed for. So welcome to our community of girlfriends here. And if you're a long-time or sometime listener, I want to welcome you back. You know I appreciate you too. So this week, I am sharing an intense conversation, a really enlightening and interesting conversation that I had with Monsignor Stephen Rossetti, who is author of Diary of an American Exorcist. So this is an intense topic. This is an important topic. Um, I put in my stories on Instagram. I'm at Danielle Bean on Instagram. Please connect with me there. I put in my stories when I was interviewing Monsignor Rossetti that I was going to be interviewing him with a little photo of me with uh, my, my little bottle of holy water that I like to talk about. And it was a very popular story on Instagram. I got a lot of feedback from people who are interested in the fact that I was going to be interviewing an exorcist. And you know, this is an important topic. But let me start out by saying, first and foremost, if this is a topic that's likely to disturb your peace, if you're likely to become scrupulous or frightened or anxious or any negative, you know, result of talking about these topics, then feel free to skip this. You know, don't, you don't need to, you don't need this. You don't need to go here if that's going to become, you know, that kind of obstacle for you. But that said, I, I really do believe this is an important topic for many of us to think about, many of us to talk about. Um, Just last night, it just happens to be that last night, Dan and I watched The Conjuring 3. And now I don't typically love horror movies, but I do love that series of movies, including The Exorcist, but that series of The Conjuring, because it's real life events, and it's chronicling the activities of this real life couple, lay people who assist priests in exorcisms. And what I find really powerful in movies like that is not so much like the scare factor, although there's scary stuff and there's really uncomfortable stuff and there's a little bit of gross stuff, but mostly there's that kind of contrast between good and evil. And that's reality. That's real. And I think we ignore that at our own peril because the forces of evil are active in the world today. I'm not saying that to scare you. In fact, I find it very empowering when I watch a movie like that, uh, very encouraging and affirming because it affirms the goodness of God. And it affirms the power of God because God triumphs over death, over evil, over sin, always, in all ways, in every case, that is true. And those movies do kind of underscore that, kind of highlight that fact for us that good exists, evil exists, and God is good and all-powerful. And that does come out in my conversation with Monsignor Stephen Rossetti. So 
Rather than me expound here, I think I should bring him in so that you can learn from him. He's really, I, I, I really, this is one of my favorite interviews that I've done in a long time because I, I found him really just real and, and on a very practical level, encouraging of our spiritual lives. But then kind of, you know, <laughs> don't have to get fancy about it. He's just kind of matter of fact about the existence of evil in the world and that we do need to be aware of it, that it's healthy to be aware of it. And ultimately the goodness and the power of God. So without further commentary, here is my recent conversation with Monsignor Stephen Rossetti. Hey, everybody. I am really excited today to have a special guest that is joining us here on Girlfriends. My special guest today is Monsignor Stephen Rossetti. Monsignor Rossetti is a priest of the Diocese of Syracuse and a research associate professor at the Catholic University of America. He's a licensed psychologist and has been the chief exorcist of the Archdiocese of Washington for over 13 years. He's the author of many books and articles, particularly on priestly formation and spirituality. He currently heads the St. Michael Center for Spiritual Renewal, whose ministry involves exorcisms, deliverance praying, and the support and renewal of priestly spirituality. His new book is Diary of an American Exorcist, Demons, Possessions, and the Modern Day Battle Against Ancient Evil. Monsignor Stephen Rossetti, welcome to Girlfriends. I'm so glad you're here with us today. Danielle, it's great to be with you and all of your friends. Yes, wonderful. Well, probably the first time you're on a show called Girlfriends. <laughs> I'm happy to be here and uh, it's terrific. We're happy to have you. So this book, really, I mean, I, I got my, my preview copy from Sophia and I just tore right through it. I mean, it is a fascinating read and I left it out and some of my young adult children were picking it up and leafing through it over the weekend. But maybe can you just get to get us started? There are many people who have all kinds of ideas and thoughts and feelings about what exorcisms are. Can you just start us out with the basics? Like what exactly is an exorcism? What happens when you perform an exorcism? Well, I mean, I, there's lots of people who believe in them, people who don't. But mm -hmm. I would say, of course, if you spent a couple of weeks with us, but you would, you would believe. Uh, but I would say it starts, I mean, from our journey starts with Jesus. And of course, there were exorcisms long before Jesus, by the way. Mm -hmm. Jews did exorcisms. Jesus spoke about Jewish exorcists in, in one of his passages. But, but nonetheless, it started with Jesus. Jesus did three basic things. He healed people. He preached the good news. And he cast out demons. Mm -hmm. and, so, and, and then as he was getting close to, to ascending, he said that I will give you the authority uh, give you my authority to cast out demons. And so we, we uh, I don't, Steve Rossetti doesn't do this. I say, in the holy name of Jesus, by mm -hmm. the power given me by the Christ, I cast you out. And then the question comes is, you know, do you believe in demons or not? I mean, I think a lot of people say, well, we're, we've grown beyond that. Uh, we're much more scientific. But all I can say is uh, there are some things which defy human description and it's been a long history in the church and beyond uh, that uh, demons do exist. I mean, we, we believe in heaven. We believe in hell. We believe that God created angels. And we right. believe that God create, uh, created good angels, but some of them rebelled, namely Satan, Lucifer. And mm -hmm. so he's now what we call a demon. So can they possess people? Well, the answer to that is yes. And, mm -hmm. and, but is there a, a power and a force which can cast them out? The answer is yes, of course, that's Jesus. And, and so it's a very hope-filled, uh, wonderful ministry because you see the power of Christ rescuing people. Right. Uh, and it's very exciting. And, and I tell you, 
when these people go through exorcism, there are the people in the front pews because they they know the truth. Wow. That's that's powerful testimony, as well as some of the stories you share in your book are along those lines as well, just leaving you very hopeful because of the the power of the healing of this particular kind of ministry. So you mentioned a little bit about like who Satan is. He's a fallen angel, right? And then in the book, you also make clear it's not just one demon we're talking about, not just Satan himself. Can you clarify that a little bit about that there are there are many? Well, uh, when when people have asked how many angels are there, I mean we don't know. I mean, obviously, right? But but with the the theologians tell us that the numbers are countless, countless hosts of angels, as the scriptures would say. So they're count. I mean, I think the numbers are beyond sort of human uh, reflection. Just countless hosts of angels. And so, how many demons are there? A lot. I mean, mm-hmm. there are a lot. But obviously, uh, most of them are not on the Rome, Rome and the earth. But enough of them are. Padre Pio said, for example. If you could see all the demons in the sky, it would be black. So, oh, I mean, wow. that, so but the good before people panic, <laughs> you know, we we believe that for every angel that fell, there were two that remained in heaven. That's a general theological reflection, and and so for every demon, there's two good angels. So you can be have hope in that too. I love uh, that. That's but I would very say, hopeful. Yeah, but you, people not possessed by one demon, they go in packs. They're they're pack animals, um, and they go in packs. And so you might there might be one leader. For example, there might be a, a, a well-known demon like Baal or Beelzebul or Leviathan, but he's going to be surrounded by his, his minions. So they mm-hmm. go in packs and there's a, one leader. Okay. So now when I was talking to my, my kids, telling them I was going to be interviewing you that, for this podcast, my teenage son, one of his questions that he wanted me to be sure to ask was like, how much of what you see in the horror movies with regard to exorcism is accurate? Here's here's an opportunity for maybe you to dispel some myths or, you know, oh. just let us know what's the reality of it. How real is what we see in those movies? Well, it's interesting, you know, uh, obviously the, the famous movie, The Exorcist, that came out in 73, it was it? was 1973, somewhere mm-hmm. there. Uh, that was actually based on a real case. And you can get the notes from the exorcist who did it. They're wow. now available in a book and you can read his notes. And actually, they read a lot like my notes. <laughs> you know, so I would say I've read them and very interesting. They're based on a real case. Now, obviously, what Hollywood did with that were some strange, the head, the head spinning around, right. spitting out the green pea soup. The priest, the exorcist throws himself down the stairs. That's all Hollywood. But some of the things that can happen, like the whole bed shaking you know, mm-hmm. when the big kids in it uh, and they do sort of vomit out things, they start screaming uh, there. People do levitate. Uh, uh, two other teams have had people levitate. I've had two who said they levitated, but I didn't see it. Uh, but so there are these sort of preternatural things that can happen. And sometimes most of the time it's kind of uh, you know, quiet, but sometimes there are some things that happen, which you go, whoa. And for example, one uh, possessed person, his eyes turn completely black. The whole the entire eyeballs turned completely wow. black. Another guy, his eyes turned into serpent eyes while he was manifesting. Another one woke up with these claw marks on, on, her, on his back, you know, and burned down, burned upside down crosses. And so, you know, while Hollywood tends to jazz things up a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. it's a pretty, sometimes it can be pretty, pretty intense. Yeah, that sounds very intense. Um, but so that said, how do you go about discerning who is possessed? I mean, you're you're a, a licensed psychologist, so you know very much about mental illness and how that might manifest itself. Or are, are there key signs that you look for when you're discerning, like when someone presents themselves to you? Well, here's the thing that people say to you, well, you know, we're beyond that. We know psychology and all these people are just crazy or that's, you know, I want you to know it's not true. 
Mm-hmm. So, I mean, most of, most, actually, most of the people do come to us, uh, or many of them anyway, really just have psychological problems. And, and have, having worked for 25 or 30 years as a psychologist, I have a better sense of what that looks like. But sometimes someone will come and they have symptoms that might look slightly psychological, but you say, you know, the psychologists have tried, the psychiatrists have tried, and you know, they're just a little different. They're just a little stranger. And then there's some spiritual things going on. You know, the person can't go to church. They can't receive the Eucharist. One person said they they tried to receive the Eucharist and it tasted like a dead animal. I went, whoa. Yeah, precisely. I mean, so it was repulsive to the person. You throw holy water and they say it burns. They start screaming, you know. Hold the crucifix. As one person said in the midst of said, it's burning my eyes. She said, take it away. Wow. So there are these strange kind of symptoms which are not really psychological and what they're for example sometimes what we do is if we think the person is sort of uh, doing their best imitation of a possessed person as we say that we throw some we take two kinds of water holy water and then regular water we don't tell them which one's which so we throw the tap water on them and if they start screaming and, and falling on the ground we say well okay you're you're not possessed <laughs> so so we'll, we'll do little things we don't okay. do that so much but we do little things like that just to just to make sure the person's really possessed. Right, right. That's very interesting. And, and you do share some of those those details as well in, in your book, Diary of an American Exorcist. And one other thing I thought of when you were describing some of the, the scary things that, that demons can do and to possessed people and the power that they have, um, maybe reassure us a little bit. What can't they do? What, are, what is the limit of their power? People get nervous. People get nervous when they look at, first of all, most people have this sort of dualistic notion in their brains, like there's God and there's Satan, they're equal. Nonsense. There is only one God, and, and God is God, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and the Satan is, like I say somewhat euphemistically, I say, listen, Satan's a dust bunny. He is <laughs> nothing compared to God and nothing compared to Jesus. Jesus is Lord. You mentioned the mere name of Jesus, and Satan starts screaming. We are in a session, we start, the holy name of Jesus, they say, stop saying that name. It drives them nuts. So we say, Jesus, Jesus, we got repeating the name of Jesus. Jesus, the name of Jesus is a holy thing. That's why we shouldn't swear and use, it just irritates me and just upsets me when people use his name because right. it's a holy thing. You don't take holy things and throw them in the mud. We, right. we revere the name of Jesus. And when you see the power of his very name, what it does to the demons, by gosh, they're running out of the room and they can't stand it. Yeah, that's that's very that's very reassuring. I think for for those of us who might be a little bit afraid when when we read stories like what you share in in your book. But speaking of being afraid, what are we not afraid of that we should be? I mean, I th- I look at our our popular culture, and there are certain practices and things that are are fairly common or even very popular, especially among young people that are related to the occult or supernatural in a way yeah. that might be dangerous. Yeah. Do you Let have me any? Tell you right now, I am. Very upset and, and uh, frightened for, for our culture, the way it's going, because, I mean, all these people practicing witchcraft. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, a number of people, I believe a number of people come to us say they're Satanists. They think being a Satanist is a good idea. I'm so going, man, what school mm-hmm. did you go to? I mean, basically, I had this little homily I, I sort of jokingly give, you know, God is good and Satan is bad. I mean, right. what made you think that being a Satanist was a good idea? <laughs> and one guy, one guy had this, uh, demon uh, uh, image tattooed on himself. And I asked, what'd you do that for? Because you, you bind yourself to this demon. It's like you're like a cow with a, with a brand on you. Right. Actually, he said, well, I thought it'd make me a better person. You thought putting a demon's tattoo <laughs> on your hip would make you a better person? 
you must have missed Christianity 101. And all these people are practicing witchcraft. They say, oh, no. They say, I'm a good witch. There's no such thing as good witchcraft. You might think you're trying to, but but you're just a witch. And mm-hmm. when you practice magic, that doesn't come from God at all. So uh, whenever you practice magic, you're actually invoking the power of Satan, whether you realize it or not. So we've got a whole generation who are practicing magic, uh, Satanists, uh, doing all sorts of occult stuff. That's an opening to the evil. Yeah. So speaking of an opening, this is part of what you make clear in your book, is that there are some things we can do through, through our own actions or sometimes through the actions of other people that can leave us more open to demonic activity. Can you can you explain to us what some of those things are so that you know we can be a little more aware of it in our everyday lives? Here's what I tell people. There are basically uh, there are lots of openings, if you will, to the demonic, but here's the basic. If you want to get possessed, here's your three uh, steps. First, stop practicing the faith. The faith uh, in Jesus is our protection. We talk about Jesus being our shield and our and our sword and our helmet, that the faith is, is your strongest protection. So when you practice the faith, you're protected. And so if you stop practicing the faith, you take away your protection. Number two, commit some serious sins. This, this causes an opening. Uh, this causes a vulnerability to the demonic. And then finally, start doing occult stuff, you know, practice with Ouija boards and seances and summoning the dead, automatic writing, all these new age spiritualities. Try all that stuff. Throw it in with these other two and you keep it up and you're going to be in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not going to happen by accident that you do those three steps. So that's a little bit reassuring right there. Yeah. yeah. That that young lad who was uh, possessed in the, the movie, The Exorcist, who really was possessed. It was a boy, by the way. It wasn't a girl that they changed that for the movie. But it was a boy. He's, I think he was 12 years or 13 years old. He was do- using a Ouija board for months. So months and months of using his Ouija board and eventually got possessed. Right. Right. So on the positive side, you mentioned having an active faith life, you know, receiving the sacraments. Are there particular prayer practices that you recommend for us to do in our homes and our families? Well, the most powerful protection besides, of course, the Holy Mass and the Eucharist is going to confession. Mm -hmm. I bet a lot of people are hearing this and have not been to confession. If you haven't been to confession a long time, you're making a big mistake. That is one of your strongest uh, ways of scrubbing your soul, if you will. Go to confession. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously, it's no fun. It's, it's a difficult practice, but but it's a salutary one. So go to confession. And then I'd say in your homes, I recommend people use the sacramentals. They have crucifixes there, plus crucifixes, you know, some holy water fonts, holy statues, and the family rosary. My gosh, Our Lady is a wonderful protection. She spreads a mantle over all those. So say the family rosary, and what a grace that would be. Yeah, there's a lot of peace and comfort in just uh, reflecting on the fact that she she crushes the serpent's head, you know? Because uh, yeah. I tell people, this is true, when she shows up in an exorcism, the demons can't get out of the room fast enough. They just pell-mell out of the room. They they can't stand in her presence. She's a, 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 a brilliant light of grace. Yeah, I want to be sure to share that, especially with our listeners here today. So maybe share one of the stories where you you did become aware of Mary's presence in that powerful way. Well, what happened was, I mean, and since there's different types of exorcisms, and but the more classic kind is when you can force the demons to tell them tell them their names and when they're leaving. Now, only an exorcist should do that. So finally, I said they got them towards the end, and they were getting weaker, so they're starting to be more obedient. So I said, in the holy name of Jesus, I command you to tell me. When are you leaving? Uh, and uh, and they said two weeks. 
I said, give me the date. They gave me the date. And I said, and, and what's going to cause you to leave? They said, she will come. And they couldn't say her name, but we all knew who she was. You wow. Know, so yeah, sure enough, on that date, you know, she, uh, the, the possessed person said she, she was here. And she showed up and uh, they beat feet out of that room. They couldn't leave fast enough. As a matter of fact, most of the demons had left before she got there. They knew what was going to happen, so they bailed out. But actually, Lucifer himself was there. And I think God would not allow him to leave uh, like a coward, but made him stand there and face the music. And so she showed up. He was was fried. Yeah. Our lady is so powerful. I love that story. Yeah. When she shows up, boy, we're, we're, we're great. It's great. Yeah. And, and so is St. Michael also a powerful intercessor? Are there other saints we should be aware of? Very much so. Uh, Very much. For example, it was St. Michael who cast out, uh, the demons uh, that the Exorcist movie it was Saint Michael. The the, the Exorcist Saint Michael King, mm-hmm. uh, and that, and uh, uh, Saint Joseph. They were in the year of Saint Joseph. Uh, we one of his uh, uh, names is called the uh, titles is called the Terror of Demons. Like we don't we think of Joseph as a kindly old man, but right. Uh, really, he's a very powerful intercessor. So we call him the Terror of Demons. So we should not underestimate the power of Saint Joseph to intercede and protect the church and protect the people. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you mentioned earlier when you were talking about what an exorcist does, what kind of prayers he says, where he addresses a demon, and you said a lay person should not do that. Um, you know, I know there's a very popular book of deliverance prayers out there, and, and some of those do directly address, I think, a demonic presence. And there's the popularity of the binding prayer, which I'm sure you're familiar with, which which does the same thing. Do you have any words of caution for us with regard to those kinds of resources? Well, well, first of all, I think a lot of those books are by, by Chad Ripperger are great. And that's why I I encourage people to use Father Chad's books. We, we encourage people to use them. Uh, so they're, they're fine. The mm-hmm. general rule of thumb is this. Uh, only really an exorcist or a priest should, should address demons directly. Those are called imprecatory prayers. Rather, uh, we suggest that uh, the laity and uh, use deprecatory prayers. So you don't address demons directly. You address God or, the, or Mary, or the angels, whatever you say, the Heavenly Father, we ask you to come and cast out these demons. So we, we encourage the lady not to sort of go face-to-face with demons and start commanding them to do things because you really don't have the protection uh, that a priest has right. to do that, and it, it, can, get, it can get ugly. It's, it's, it's uh, an intense thing to do that, and you really should have the training to do it, too. Uh, you know. mm-hmm. And it's just not necessary, right? Like then yeah, we, it's not we necessary, can, right? We right. don't need to just just ask the Lord to cast to cast Jesus to cast out the demons. Or bless him, mother, cast out the demons. That's fine. Right, uh, right, yeah. That's because, I think important. Pope Francis said this many times. He said, uh, "Don't uh, start getting into a conversation with the demons because they're they'll they'll get into your head," which is true. Don't get into conversation with demons; they will get into your head because they're they're brilliant psychologists, evil but brilliant psychologists. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, even we are very careful about what we do. There's only a certain number of questions we can ask uh, directly related to the exorcism and nothing else. You do not ask demons questions uh, that are not related to throwing them out because they'll get into our heads. Wow. You know, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so in in the book, you share some some things that are kind of interesting, like notes about the ways that these these exorcisms take place sometimes, or some of the ways that uh, demons present themselves that are really kind of surprising. You had one where you shared about um, animals becoming aware of demonic presence, um, or about an Alexa that was possessed in a way. Right? Uh, can you just maybe share with us something that was most surprising to you in in your experience as an exorcist? Uh, a couple of things. First of all, yes, there are some animals that are aware of demons. We we actually have a, we have a dog. So I mean, animals. Some, not all animals, by the way. Right. But some dogs do. I mean, it's amazing the thing that dogs can do. I mean, they sniff all sorts of things. And animals do have this sometimes have this preternatural awareness. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, uh, in many infested houses, the when the when the demons show up in these infested houses, the dogs will go wild. I mean, it's not just a normal bark and woof 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 thing. I mean, there's there's how there's what's the word. They're panic screaming, howling. Have you ever heard a dog do that? For mm-hmm. example, you as a mother, you know the difference between a, a child when he when the child cries versus when there's really a problem. Absolutely. You know the difference in the sound. Mm-hmm. The same thing with these dogs. Yeah, they they when they when there's demons around and they, and they are attuned to it, they admit a cry of terror or whatever, which is quite uh, nerve nerve wracking. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. So, and I think sometimes kids do too. As I said, we I think we lose as we get older. But young, very young children sometimes can sense angels and demons. Uh, we actually were supposed to. We did that before the fall. We actually were able to do that as human beings. That we had a preternatural life. We we communed with angels. Mm-hmm. Uh, but after the fall, we lo- most people lost. Oh, not all. There are some people who actually do have the gift of uh, seeing angels and demons. Right. Or or, or not. Sometimes it can be not much of a gift, but, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah. The other yeah. thing I would say that I think is interesting was that uh, people don't believe me that this, but first of all, let me say that we all know that demons can mess with electronics. They turn TVs on and off. They, the door slams, you know, the, 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 the phones ring and all sorts of the lights turn on. Well, this is a welcome to 21st century. We actually occasionally would get text messages from demons. And of course, there are these snarky negative things you know mm-hmm. and so you know but uh yeah they're, they're and that's coming to you through a person who is possessed is that right well actually what happens is is uh for example this one person was possessed but her phone was by her bedside she wasn't touching it and someone oh, else wow. in the room is, uh, watched look at the phone the phone was starting to type out a message by itself uh, okay so, i'm getting goosebumps yeah. <laughs> <I don't... laughs> um, can do things physical things in the world they can throw things around a room they can throw pictures and crosses and Someone, I just got a note that yesterday that uh, this person who was a possessed person and the, per, and the demons grabbed her rosary beads and br- br- broke them and then threw the beads all over the room. Wow. Well, let me say this. The power of demons is, is limited. They're, they're, Satan is a chain beast. Uh, they only do what God allows them to do, and it was very limited. They can't kill you because if they could kill you, every exorcist in the world would be dead already. So they can't kill you. They can't maim you directly. Mm-hmm. They can harass you. They can, you know, they can be the, the great saints. They used to beat them up a little bit. Most of us don't get beat up by demons. Uh, and they can, they can do some de- what I call demonic antics. You know, they can throw things around them. They try to scare you, mm-hmm. imitate you. But they're a bunch of 12 year olds. I mean, basically, antics, <laughs> you know. So uh, don't be afraid of demons. I mean, trust in the Lord, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Trust in Jesus is Lord, not, not Satan. 
Right, right. Yeah. So we're running out of time. So I do want to ask this one last question to just end on that, that note of positivity, because you start out your book and you mentioned it a few times throughout your book, talking about how you sleep like a baby at night. And yeah. I, I'm seeing, I'm seeing you right now holding on to your, your rosary, right? Do you always have that in your hand? Oh, yes, like, always. yeah. Oh, and you yes. mentioned that you sleep with it. So people would say, you know, you're, you're actually directly dealing with demons in your daily work. How can you possibly sleep like a baby at night? How is, how does that work? Well, again, Jesus is Lord. One thing you learn in this ministry is that Jesus is Lord. And Jesus, nothing happens without the Lord allowing it. So rest easy. And every, I keep telling people, trust in Jesus. Trust in the Lord. He's going to take care of you. You know, trust in Jesus. You know, that Satan, the demons try to frighten you. But they're chain beasts. You know, they're, they're, they're toothless people. Just trust in the Lord. His death and resurrection has won the day. Yes. Beautiful, beautiful final note for us to focus on here at the end of this fascinating conversation. Monsignor Stephen Rossetti, author of Diary of an American Exorcist. Thank you so much for joining us here today. It's been a fascinating discussion, Monsignor. Thanks, Danielle, and God bless you and your ministry. All right, coming up, we've got more of the show for you, but first we're going to take a quick break. I'm Danielle Bean, and you're listening to The Girlfriends Podcast. Hi, I'm Sonia Corbett, the Bible study evangelista. When I became Catholic, I had a really hard time understanding the role Mary was supposed to play in my life. So I went to her and I told her, I just don't get it. I need your help. And guess what? Mary did just that. She showed me a way to pray that has revolutionized my entire life. Mary has been called the mother of listening. She didn't just hear the word. She knew how to hear it in light of her own relationships, circumstances, and habits. And then she let the word transform her. I realized that I had to share what I was learning about Mary's way of praying with others. So I wrote How to Pray Like Mary, a step-by-step guide to discovering God's voice in the scriptures and letting Him transform your heart. I invite you to learn more about How to Pray Like Mary at ascensionpress.com or on Amazon. Welcome back. I hope you appreciated that conversation. And I look forward to your feedback. This I have learned through my sharing on Instagram is a topic people like to share about that people are interested in. If this conversation has piqued your curiosity, definitely check out uh, Monsignor Rossetti's book. But also you can find more information um, through connecting with me online, uh, especially on Instagram. I'm Danielle Bean on Instagram. Would love to connect with you there. Okay, we're at the point in the show where I sometimes share listener feedback or questions, but in these few weeks here, we're doing our mini book club. And this is the book club I'm doing. Mini, I call it because we just spent a few minutes at the end of each show talking about a new chapter in my book, Whisper, Finding God in the Everyday, which is available from ascensionpress.com. It's also available on Amazon. It's also available at your local Christian bookseller. You might want to ask for it there. It's a great way to support your local booksellers. Um, But however you get your copy, I would love for you to be following along with us each week as we're kind of sharing a little bit of the content. And for those of you who are on the fence, aren't sure if this book is for you, sharing this content can kind of give you an idea of what the book is about, what we talk about in the pages of this book. So this week, we're on chapter seven, which is titled Journeying on Meeting God in Prayer. And this is actually appropriate that I do it on this week's show, because I start out this chapter talking about an unusual stay that I had once at an Airbnb and this is unusual for me. I just, it, that evening that I spent there had just a sense of the presence of evil. And now I don't say that lightly because that isn't something I go around. Like, I know there are people who kind of are dramatic in that way and I'm not doubting their sincerity, but, you know, 
that are like, oh, it feels evil here, or, you know, they're very aware in that way. That's not me. And actually, that's part of the theme of what I share in Whisper is that I'm not that kind of a mystic. I'm not the kind of person that that goes around, you know, continually hearing the voices of God with with clarity or feeling the presence of good or, or good or evil or being aware on that level. But I did in this experience. And I kind of shared how my experience that night where I was frightened, I didn't, it was really uncomfortable and just a really unpleasant experience for me to be awake in the middle of the night and feeling that way, um, that I turned to prayer and I turned to the St. Michael prayer, of course, um, but also just, you know, praying Jesus's name, which is a powerful prayer. Just saying Jesus's name is a powerful thing. And so in sharing that, it kind of, it kind of reinvigorated in me this idea, this, this knowledge that saying Jesus's name is a powerful thing. And there are powerful ways that we can pray that are very simple like that, just as simple as saying Jesus's name. And then um, I share a little bit that I learned about the Jesus prayer, which is a tradition in the church, not not so much in uh, Roman Catholicism, but in the Eastern Rite, this idea of praying a small prayer. And the prayer goes like this, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that's the fancy version you can do. I mean, some of the versions are just, my God, have mercy, something as simple as that. Um, but repeating that prayer, and the tradition is that you repeat that prayer many times on on a prayer cord with kind of like the rosary, um, but with a hundred knots on a rope and pray it a hundred times just meditatively in, at the start of your day, perhaps, and then going into your day, bringing the prayer with you so that you're continually saying that. And I shared a little bit of my experience of practicing that practicing that kind of meditative prayer with the Jesus prayer. Um, and maybe you never heard of it. I had never heard of it until a couple of years ago. And it piqued my interest and I went to learn more. And this is what I had discovered. And that the idea is to kind of make the prayer a part of yourself and you bring it into your day. So that idea of um, St. Paul's call to pray without ceasing, which is something that which sounds at surface level kind of impossible, right? I mean, like we're, we have jobs, we have kids, we have households to run. We can't be praying all day. And yet... In this way, it does seem possible to bring that prayer with you and make it a part of your breathing in and breathing out, breathing in that first part of the prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, and breathing out the second part, have mercy on me, a sinner, and making that just a, a habit of your thoughts. And, you know, how many times do we go around in our everyday lives with some, you know, the most recent song you heard or a commercial jingle running through your mind? And we do this, it's so dumb. Why would we fill our brain space with nonsense like that? Why not fill that brain space? Why not fill idle moments in our mind with prayer? And this, the Jesus prayer is a beautiful habit that can lead to more of that. And so I shared in the book, um, in, especially in chapter seven, about some of my experiences with using that prayer, with attempting to pray that prayer throughout my day, praying it in different ways throughout my day. I think it's just, it's a really powerful way to just remind yourself that, who is God, who you are, your place in the world, place yourself in God's hands. There are so many ways to kind of pray that prayer as sort of um, a call on God, calling God into your, your presence by calling on His name, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, or recognizing His power, recognizing that He is God. Many times I need to pray that prayer as a reminder in a situation where I'm wanting to take control of something, reminding myself that I am not God that God is God and His will be done. And then the, the second part, have mercy on me, a sinner. Just beautiful, humble words, a reminder of who we are and our complete dependence on God. And of course, the words of this prayer, the Jesus prayer, are scriptural, right? This is the prayer that the, the tax collector is praying in the back of the church 
saying, have mercy on me, a sinner. This this prayer that Jesus tells us is deeply meaningful and powerful, more, more meaningful and powerful than the many empty words and phrases of the Pharisees or that the prideful man was praying at the front of the church. And um, also, it's in the story of Bartimaeus, where we read in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. Um, so, this is the, the story of Bartimaeus. It says, As he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar and the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. There are those words again. There's that powerful prayer. And Jesus said to him, go on your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed him on the way. So Jesus rewarded that very simple, humble prayer. And we would do well to imitate that example, to follow that example, and pray those simple and powerful words. And, you know, it might not be the Jesus prayer for you. Maybe there's another word or phrase that you want to take into your day that has a lot of meaning for you. What I like about the Jesus prayer is that it's all the things and it's none of the things, right? It can be a prayer praising God. You know, you might be inspired to pray, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner, in praise and thanksgiving when something, you know, wonderful has happened or some small joy in your day, you know, some beauty that you recognize in nature, just giving praise to God for the good things that we enjoy. Or you might pray it in um, petition for something, you know, calling on God, calling on God, asking for his help in some situation, have mercy on me, asking for God's help, knowing, reminding ourselves that we're completely dependent on the goodness of God, on the mercy of God, always placing ourselves at his mercy. It's a beautiful prayer to be repeating. Or you might pray it as um, a prayer of repentance. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Maybe when you're going to God and doing your examination of conscience at the end of a day or at the end of a week, and you're sorry for things that you've done, praying that prayer in moments of trial, in moments of challenge, in moments where you're falling short, of where you want to be and where God is calling you to be. It's a beautiful, simple prayer and one that you can take with you. So in chapter seven, I, I share some of my experiences with that prayer, other kinds of um, bringing prayer with you kinds of experiences that I've had. But I'm interested to know yours. If you are reading Whisper right now, I'd love to hear your thoughts on chapter seven. You can email me, danielle at daniellebean.com or connect with me on social media, especially Instagram. I'm Danielle Bean over there. We'd love to connect with you there. You can send me your feedback. Let me know what your thoughts are as you're reading the book. Let me know all the ways that God is whispering to you right now, because part of what I share in the book is that this is something we can get better at. We can get better at hearing the whispers of God. We can get better at connecting with God in all the big and small ways throughout our everyday lives. And, and that's exactly what God wants for us. So get your copy of Whisper, Finding God in the Everyday over at ascensionpress.com. And I look forward to your feedback. And that's it. I want to thank Monsignor Rossetti for being part of today's show. And I want to thank you for being here. This podcast exists because of you. It is for you. I'm here with you, and I'm grateful for your presence here. Thank you so much for being part of today's show. And until next time, I hope you enjoy your day, and God bless your week. Girlfriends is a collaboration between daniellebean.com and Ascension, the leader in Catholic faith formation. 